John Bastini here, and welcome back to Seeing Through the Media. And my podcast is now available on an RSS feed like a proper big boy grown-up podcast, and you can find that on my website, www.johnplaskina.com, or you can continue to enjoy on YouTube like you probably have already been doing. So let's jump right in. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer say that they struck some kind of a deal with Donald Trump on DACA, and Trump denies that, but he's tweeted some things that are showing a willingness to cave on key promises of his campaign. So there's panic everywhere. People are burning their MAGA hats and posting it on Twitter. And I think that's actually a really good idea. Trump is on Twitter a lot. So if you tweet stuff at him, he very well might see it. I think that is a new form of political activism that anybody could get involved with. Tweet stuff at Donald Trump. He has at times been very receptive to things like that. So if you want to understand why Trump's base is so upset, if you don't understand this, there's a pretty good article by Ann Coulter. Yeah, I know. But uh, it's okay. What she's doing here is laying out a case for how badly voters have been screwed over amnesty in the past. How every time there's been some kind of a compromise where we're going to allow people to stay in exchange for better border security and uh, uh, other things like that, it never works out. We always end up with way more than we're promised and uh, way more immigrants than were promised and way less security than was promised. It's always a problem. I was going to read some quotes from it, but I don't really feel like rehashing all that stuff because I had to live through that, (laughs) and it was really frustrating. If you want to go check it out, I'll have a link in the description. We know that the power elite wants illegal immigrants because they are cheap labor, they're easily manipulated. This is an attempt to build a permanent underclass who will tolerate the globalist destruction of the economy, the first world economy in the United States. We want these people to go home and heal Mexico. They need to put their talent and hard work towards healing Mexico. So Alex Jones announced that he's going to go back to talking more about the New World Order, the technocracy, and uh, things like that, less politics, which I think is pretty funny, actually. The other day, he tried to make the case that Trump is is being drugged. (laughs) Now, I respect Alex Jones a lot. He's dropped a lot of red pills over the years, but I have to be honest that it is really funny to watch him kind of wiggle around to find an angle where he doesn't look silly for shilling so hard for Trump. And uh, I shilled for Trump pretty hard, too, during the election. I was a big fan. Uh, But I've been honest with you. uh, Once he bombed Syria, I've been losing enthusiasm for him bit by bit. And I'll always be that. I am not rigid in my ideology. In fact, three or four years ago, my ideology was completely different than it is now. And I imagine it's very possible that three or four years from now, that could change again. And I'm always going to be honest and upfront with you about that. I'm not going to I'm not going to try and hide it. So us Trump supporters, we were never going to get all of of what we want. I expected some form of amnesty for the most politically useful illegal immigrants because it is very difficult as a politician to stand up and and try and openly say that you want to throw people out of the country who have jobs, uh, who've been here for a long time, who haven't committed crimes. But beyond that, Trump supporters have taken it on a chin a lot. The wall's been punted indefinitely. And most damaging and frightening, most of Trump's original advisors from his campaign are gone, and he's now surrounded by enemies of his agenda. So some specific examples. We've got Kushner and Khan, and these guys are globalists. They represent the international finance cartels, Goldman Sachs, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank. And this faction has a lot of pull in the Federal Reserve, where you also see a lot of finance cartel veterans like Stanley Fisher and Janet Yellen. Now, I know that this is where the Daily Stormer, the rightstuff.biz crowd are going to start in with blaming the Jews for everything. But you have to understand, Jewish people are overrepresented in the finance cartels because of 
the thousands of years of history when Christianity outlawed lending money at interest. That led to the rise of Jewish families within international finance. You got to love the hypocrisy of, of religion, of organized religion sometimes. Christians aren't allowed to lend money at interest, but they'll, they'll allow Jews and Muslims to lend money to Christians. That's, that's not bad because politicians need that. That's why that happens. But uh, most famously, the Rothschild family is, a, is an example of, uh, of one group of Jewish bankers who rose to prominence within international finance. And most people, I think, are aware of the Rothschild family, but these things are fascinating pieces of history that should inform your understanding of modern events. But the ethnicity of the people involved really is sort of a distraction. It brings a lot of heat to the conversation, but not a whole lot of light. I think it's better to focus on facts and historical realities. But then on the war front, we have neocons and interventionists. We've got Secretary of Defense Mad Dog Mattis, who is hawkish on Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, he's now pushing for intervention in North Korea and Syria. We've got National Security Advisor McMaster, who has similar positions and background, and he's been a big part of this purge of nationalists like Bannon from the Trump administration. We now are stuck with Chief of Staff John Kelly, who also has similar positions and background, and he replaced uh, Reince Priebus. You know, I was glad to see him go until I saw who replaced him. Is it too late to get rinsed penis back? Our penises are in need of rinsing. I want him back. These people obviously represent the military and beyond that, the military industrial complex. These are the people who are going to be managing the relationships with the mega corporations that uh, have a lot of power within the government because they employ so many people, because they move so much money through the economy. These are the factions that push for more war constantly. So you're going to see companies like Lockheed Martin, uh, Google is part of this now, uh, Palantir and all that kind of stuff. Endless pushes for more war and more expansion of the surveillance state and the police state. Then within the GOP, we see Paul Ryan and other establishment cronies and neocons who are obstructing Trump's agenda in Congress. So why can these people bully Trump and force out his advisors? You have to remember that they represent vast power blocks. They all have either resources the government needs or control over some aspect of the government like Congress or the military or relationships with the huge corporations. They all have pull. They all have ways of making things difficult for the president. And the job of a high-level executive like a president is to coordinate between all these separate power blocks and get them to work together and make sure that everybody gets at least some of what they want so that everything is functional. Now, Trump, unfortunately, he can't be as much of a bully as he was during the campaign. I would love to see that, but realistically, it just can't work. So what they're doing is isolating him and taking his agenda apart and trying to destroy his reputation with his base. And ultimately, they're going to seek to make him a one-term president or less. And they're probably going to try and suck him into more wars as well. And we may be able to get a little bit of an inside glimpse about what this looks like for Trump. Uh, this is a report from Mike Cernovich, who, you know, take whatever Mike Cernovich says with a grain of salt or sugar, depending on the situation. He's definitely not a John Pilger or a James Corbett. You know, those are people who I trust because... They've been trying to put out reliable alternate news for a long time. Starnovich is, for one thing, kind of new with this, and for another thing, he can be a little bit silly. He, seemed, he comes off kind of silly from time to time. But he does have interesting things to say, and um, 
he may well have some sources who are willing to give him inside information. So here's what he says. I've heard from people that Trump is on house arrest. I thought, come on, the president of the United States, that's the weirdest thing I ever heard. But I kept digging into it, and I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. And of course, John Bolton wrote a column for National Review, and he's begging people to retweet it, saying this is the only way the president is going to see it. And I say, I don't really understand. How can Trump not see who he wants to see? This is something I don't fully comprehend within the White House. If true, that is a pretty interesting little piece of information that these people who have surrounded Trump are trying to restrict the flow of information to him and that it's now difficult for people like John Bolton, who I'm not a big John Bolton fan, believe me. That guy is serious trouble when there was a rumor that he might end up as chief of staff or secretary of state or whatever it was. I was really concerned. But at the same time, he was part of the Trump thing early on. He's somebody who you would expect would be able to have access to Trump if he needs it. So that's a pretty interesting little piece of information that's worth knowing. So maybe if you tweet my podcast at Mike Cernovich, he'll be able to have a better understanding of why these things are going on. And this is the fight, folks. This is what it was always going to be like. I mean, it's sad to see how badly Trump has been losing. The victories have been pretty small and the losses have been devastating. I was hoping that he could do better. But this is what they were going to do. They're taking his agenda apart. They're destroying his reputation with his base. And ultimately, they're going to seek to make him a one-term president or less if they can get away with that. And meanwhile, they're going to try and suck him into more wars, too, because that's good for, good for the establishment, good for the military-industrial complex. War is the health of the state. But keep in mind that any compromise on DACA is going to have to go through Congress. And at the end, Trump, in theory at least, doesn't have to sign it. So what, we're still in this situation where all we can do for now is watch and wait and see what happens. Um, yes, go ahead and burn your MAGA hats and post it on Twitter, but remain calm. Uh, we really won't know whether or not Trump is still worth supporting in 2020 until 2019. But another important thing to think about, in fact, I don't understand why this isn't, why aren't people talking about this? Why isn't it bigger? We need a push during the midterms because if the Republicans hold on to Congress, that in and of itself is not a victory for Trump. We need to get more people in Congress who are outsiders. And I don't necessarily just mean Trump supporters, although it would be nice to have more of that. We need more Rand Pauls too. And the, the GOP establishment is not going to give it to us. If we want that, we have to fight for it ourselves. So I really hope that there's people out there who are getting ready to run for office in 2018. I know that I was actually considering it, and I know that I probably couldn't win because listen to me talk. But at the same time, who knows? Maybe I could have gotten information out there that wouldn't otherwise have been there. And um, this is something worth thinking about doing. If you are a sane human being who's interested in politics, who's articulate, who's willing to go out and have debates and stuff, really think about doing that. Think about getting involved. Run for House. Run for your state legislatures. That's a really crucial thing. Another thing that I want to start talking about on the show more is how small-time candidates could potentially use something like Kickstarter or Patreon or GoFundMe to launch campaigns to capture these local offices that, in theory, could actually have a lot of power. Um, you could, state legislatures can nullify federal law. In theory, we could nullify the entire federal government. In fact, I think that's a pretty good idea. And I'm going to talk about that some more in a bit. But here's what I'm going to do. Rather than having one gigantic podcast, the feedback was it would be better to break it up into smaller pieces like I did for YouTube. So I'm pretty much done talking about Trump and DACA. So I'm going to end this one here. 
And then a little bit later, I'm going to put up another podcast where I ha- I will discuss some things that are not on the front page of the news that I think should be. And then after that, I'll have another one where I answer some viewer comments. So from now on, you'll be getting podcasts in little bite-sized bits and pieces like this instead of getting one giant one all at once. So it seems like that's what people want, and I'm here to please. But that's all I got for now. It's a harsh world out there, my friends. So as always, please keep thinking and uh, burn your MAGA hat and post it on Twitter. Bye-bye.